Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. That was powerful. Thank you, guys. I'm so uh, appreciative of the music team and everything they brought this morning. I... uh, I'm excited to start with you today, a new set of messages. I hope that you'll turn to your, in your Bible to the book of Judges. To the book of Judges, that's, uh, if you don't know where it is, it's kind of like open it to the beginning and go about 13% of the way through, and you will find yourself at the book of Judges. I have a very particular reason why I think uh, a study of this set of uh, scriptures is going to be really useful to us, and uh, I'm excited about everything that is going to be part of that. And I'd like to get that started now. So uh, I was at the train station yesterday, uh, right down the street here in downtown Palatown. I I had an errands day yesterday. I don't know if you ever have those, but uh, I was like, we were going to need to get a whole bunch of things done. One, two, three, four, five needed to get done. And so I got like about one errand in, which I would... I don't know how you do, but I was trying to teach the boys. You always start with the hardest one, like the most difficult one, because that's the one, if you don't get it done at the beginning of the day when you're excited, it'll never get done, if your mind's anything like mine. So I was feeling really good, so I stopped for coffee down the street here at the coffee shop that I really like. And uh, I walked in, and there was this table, and they were selling Girl Scout cookies. And uh, they were far enough away that, like, my first thought was, I just won't go over there. I'll just... I'll just get coffee and then I'll just walk out and I won't go over there because I knew that if I went over there, I, I knew what would happen. I don't know uh, where you land on that whole spectrum, like if you're like a Thin Mint person or uh, some people are like the Samoas or the Tagalongs or whatever, but uh, they recently, not that long ago, came out with this new one. It's a, it's a s'more, it's a s'more cookie. And uh, I don't know that I have adequate words to describe to you, like the quality of what these things taste like when you put them in your mouth. It is like they are apex. And so I thought, I was like, I just won't, I just won't go over there. Then I thought, well, you know what? I'm, in my mind, I was like, you know, there is like a way in which I could use this. It would really help in the sermon tomorrow. So why don't I, why don't I walk over there and I'll buy, I'll just buy, I'll just buy like one bag and then. I'll use it, you know, unopened in the sermon tomorrow, and I'll like make and you'll under, and then and then I ended up with um two bags, and the second bag never made it home. I had one of the boys in the car with me, and we polished off an entire bag um, of these. I feel very judged. If you could just change the way you're looking at me, it um and the book of Judges is about how we as human beings and our patterns of sin and choices go through the same cycles over and 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 over. 
we don't have the same you and me. We have different ones. We some of us struggle with different things. Some of you know, like not, it, we all have different things that sin that snares us, issues that grab onto us. But at the core of it, we all have patterns that develop that we really struggle the older we get to get rid of. The book of Judges is about how that wasn't just happening to individual people, but uh, an entire nation for a few generations. And I think it's going to help us grow in defeating those patterns in our life as we study it. The title of all these messages is going to be called Don't Follow Your Heart or Follow Your Heart and Other Bad Advice because that is where so often we get stuck. The book of Judges helps us because it's very clear in what it describes as the issue or what it's trying to say. It's trying to say this in chapter 17. It's trying to say, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then just to make sure that we get it again in chapter 21, it says the same words almost again. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's a temptation for us to think that the generation that we are living in is like the first time people were ever like this before. Doesn't that feel like it describes so well the way that the people around us live today? That they do what's right in their own eyes. What does that mean? It means that they do what feels right. They do what seems right. They do what occurs to them in the moment. They don't let anybody else tread on them or tell them what their morality should be. There's this sense that in the world that we're living in in the 2020s that everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Yet, a few thousand years ago, this same thing was happening. And so I want to take you through the first couple of chapters today. And uh, it's going to help us as we're going forward. This is what I came to say today. I'm going to tell it to you now, and then I'm going to try to tell it to you again at the end. Hopefully, you'll grab onto it. In the age of autonomy and self-definition, I must live completely under the authority of King Jesus. Why? The reason why I'm saying, yeah, there it is. The reason why I'm saying uh, not to follow your heart, why I'm emphasizing that point, is because our hearts are untrustworthy. There's this sense in the world today that we're told that we need to be true to ourselves. We need to climb the mountain of being honest. And the problem with that, um, there's some elements of truth in that. But the scripture is really helpful to us. This is in the book of Jeremiah where it describes what our hearts are like. That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I bet when you made the worst choices that you've ever made in your life, you were following what it felt like at the time. So the book of Judges starts like this. Uh, after the death of Joshua, this is chapter 1 and verse 1. I hope you're looking with me. The people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Uh, you'll see this all through the Bible, and you see it even today in the world, that the changeover of leadership in a country or a business or any place creates this uncertainty that like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? We're used to a new Congress every two years, a new governor, a new president every four years or eight years. Just imagine what that felt like in the ancient world where Joshua had been the leader for like 40 years. Now he's gone and there's someone new. It rises up in the people, this sense of, wait, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen now? Here's where we are in the story. Uh, where we are in the story is uh, Adam, the first man, Abraham, the first of the Jewish people, Moses, who led the people out of Egypt and to the promised land. Joshua was after Moses, and now there's this, who's coming 
Who's coming now? Who's going to be the next person? The people right then were in a place of uncertainty and in a place of transition. And it's important to you and me that we learn and understand that in a time of transition, don't just follow your heart. So it's easy when I get into a moment of, uh, I'm done with high school, I'm on my way to college. I'm done with this job, I'm on, the, I'm on my way to another job. I, uh, my marriage, I did everything I could, but it ended, now I'm into something else. My, uh, it, in seasons of transition, it's really easy to just go with what I'm feeling rather than to give and to bow the knee to King Jesus, his word, the wise people that he puts around me. And when that happens, disaster happens. The people of Israel had been given a very specific, and I want to show it to you a few times here in this text, they'd been given a very specific mission. Their mission was to go into this land that God had promised them and to destroy everything in their path so that they could take what God had promised them and was rightly theirs. And in this time of transition, they're like, so wait, the king, Joshua's dead. Who's going to be the, who's going to go first? When they say who's going to go first, you can imagine what it was like in the ancient world. The king or the leader was the first person at the front lines in the battle. You know, like when you watch the football team come out of the tunnel, it's usually the captain or the quarterback who's the first guy running out with everybody behind them. So they're saying, we're supposed to keep fighting, but who's going to be the one who goes first? Well, it says then in chapter 1 and verse 4 that Judah, that's one of the 12 tribes of Israel, they went up and the Lord gave two groups of people, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, into their hand and they defeated 10,000 of them. In fact, they defeated this brutal king, Adni Bezek, and he said, there's like 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off who used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. So in Deuteronomy chapter 20, just to get us caught up, this is the assignment. This is just a book, two books before. This is the assignment. I have this for the screen a couple slides later there, guys. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18. This is the assignment that the people of Israel were living under as they went to battle. This is God speaking. But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. You shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I practice that for you. As the Lord your God has commanded that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, so you sin against the Lord your God. There's a common criticism that you hear today from some folks as you read the Bible that to our like, modern sensibilities, this idea that God would assign a group of people to death feels a little brutal, or it feels a little like, I don't know, this doesn't like totally fit with my vibe. Uh, we have to wrap our minds around that reality, right? We have to wrap our minds around that reality. To understand the book of Judges, uh, you've got to understand these three things. I'm going to say this every single week. We have to understand, uh, first, that we have to be able to check our modern sensibilities. We've lived different lives than people in other generations and times, and we need to be able to understand it. We have to carefully study the patterns and the lessons that God is putting in front, and we have to treasure Jesus as the permanent solution to a broken world. Often you'll see when you open your Bible, God giving accommodation to the darkness of the world 
but not necessarily blessing all the darkness around. If that makes sense. I know that's difficult to grab your mind around. And the book of Judges is purposely written that we have to pay attention and infer the lessons. So go back to those verses that I just had on the screen there. This is the idea that they were living under. So I want you, he says, in these cities that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, if that's a quarter, I want it, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. You shall devote them to complete destruction. Now here's the list of people, but here's God's why. Next slide. Why? So that they won't teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, so that you won't sin against the Lord your God. The reason why God wanted the people of Israel to destroy the pagan people around them was because of the great sin of these people, and so they would not be tempted to sin. He's saying, if you have these people and their pagan practices, all of their godless behavior around you, you're going to get trapped into it, and so we need to get rid of it. That's what's happening here. It says that the Lord, we're still in chapter 1 of Judges now, was with Judah. He took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. This is the start of a pattern. God says, I want you to get rid of these people, and I want you to get rid of everything around them. Now look what happens. He says it over and over. You can't miss this no matter how hard you would try to miss it. It says, Manasseh didn't drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And next verse, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. And Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. And Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. And Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. What's he saying? So there's like 12 tribes of Israel, little groups. And he, in quick order there, says, they sort of did what they were supposed to do, but didn't completely do it. And they sort of did what they were supposed to do, but didn't completely do it. And they sort of did what they were supposed to do and didn't completely do it. And they sort of did what they were supposed to and didn't completely do it. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? I know, you're like, what on earth is this guy talking about? What's the point? It's this. When partial obedience is available, don't follow your heart. We are all tempted to partial obedience. God said, I want you to drive these people out. And it says they drove them out like a bit, but not all the way. Each person who can hear my voice right now who got out of bed on this morning to get to church or who's watching or listening to this at some point is tempted to do some of what God wants and then think that that's enough. And usually the reason that that happens is we compare ourselves to the godless people around us, not to the standard of the holy God who saves us. That's the reason. We are tempted so often to go only as far as we need to go to feel okay, and then we want to stop. I felt like I looked better in this jacket, but it's too... It's too hot, so I'm going to have to take it off. I, would, I tried, but it's just, it's lined and whatever, so there you go. Uh, I see this so much with our kids. Kristen and I, we have four kids, and uh, someone said to me, why is it that like, you're always telling stories about my kids? And it's like, we have four kids. It's like the only thing that we ever do, other than when I'm standing here, is like, uh, kids are the masters at only admitting to what they have to admit to get out of a jam. 
kids are now. I mean, we are too, but we're going to start with kids because it's safer. Uh, like the other night, so uh, we have a, uh, oh my goodness, he had a birthday. He's 14. We have a 14-year-old, and uh, he's at that age where he's starting to have autonomy, including that, like, his early morning dad, especially, is almost always asleep now before he's awake. And so there's this game that starts to get played, especially on the weekends, of what time did you go to bed last night? And the answer usually is something like what time we could prove that he, he you know, like what time he could prove. And so yesterday morning, a younger brother wakes up, and uh, you know how younger brothers are, they're always trying to get their older brother in trouble. And he's like, Dad, Carter stayed up past his bedtime. You know how I know? He texts me at 12.28 to say, hey, when you wake up, can you plug my phone in because I'll still be sleeping? Dad, he was still awake at 12.28, and I heard you tell him to go to bed at 11 o'clock, Dad. He was up way past his bedtime. That was like, he was really excited. If you're like a younger sibling, maybe you know what this So I said, then, you know, teenager wakes up and he's got that like like thing at like 10.30 in the morning or whatever, which by the way, anyone else feel like you get older? I couldn't sleep till the times teenagers sleep till. If you gave me like 10 paychecks, I couldn't do it, but they can just do it, no problem. And he comes up and he's like, hey bud, time to go to bed last night. He was like, oh, you know, I don't I don't know, I was late, I don't know, 11, 11 something or I don't know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, your, your brother told me that you texted him at 1228. He was like, he knew he was busted. What's the point? The point is that I could have strung that game along all day. And people, we see this in the culture with like, when a politician gets caught in a jam. Or we see... Um, Felt like someone was about to run in. That got a little scary for me for a second. Sorry. We feel, we feel like when a politician gets in a jam, we feel that, or they only want to, you know, or when like a professional athlete, or when a when a spouse gets caught in sin, or whatever. It's the same thing. Is people only admit usually to a little bit at a time, and it reflects the fact that we often fall into the pattern of partial obedience. So the people in the nation of Israel, they were willing to do some of what God told them to do, but not all of what God told them to do. We have this today in our lives, a ton of it. We have ways that we partially obey. Uh, many people partially obey God with their sexuality. God has a standard. We often run up or past the edges of God's standard and then think that it's okay because we're not like all those crazy people out there. God has a standard with our, our finances, tithing, offerings, God owns all of our money, and we're like, well, I'm doing better than that guy over there, so we partially obey. We have a standard for rest, very clear in the scripture. God, God's expectation and desire and design for us is that 24 hours of non-productivity every week that allows us to focus on God is for our best. But so many of us work more than we should be working, then are amazed that we're tired and unhappy and unproductive because we want to partially obey God but not completely obey God. There's standards of forgiveness is another one. The Bible gives us the expectation that when someone hurts you, when someone does you wrong, when someone treats you poorly... That because of what Jesus has done for you, you owe them an unconditional release of the debt they owe you for the hurt that they caused. And so many people walk around with their hurt like a little pet. People like those little dogs, you know. 
Why is there a dog on the airplane? I don't know. They love their little dog, and they're holding it like you're holding your unforgiveness. And the crazy part about the unforgiveness, dear friend, is you think you're punishing the person that hurt you, but you're not punishing the person that hurt you. If you've been around that track, you know, who are you punishing when you hold on to the unforgiveness? You're punishing yourself in the name of punishing the person that hurt you. They hurt you, so you're like, I'm just going to hurt myself even more. And in all of these, in all these, there is God's standard. There is the way that we fall often into partially obeying God's standard. And then there is the problems that are caused for us because of it. Don't allow yourself to think, don't allow yourself to think that God will, because he will not, God will never bless partial obedience. He won't. So we love, because we're loving parents and loving friends and loving whatever we love to be like, you did your best, you, you, you gave it your all. You, and then those are all true things, and God is kind to us, but God will not bless our partial obedience. So if you want God to bless your relationship, but your relationship is filled with sexual sin, God is not going to bless it. If you want God to bless your job, but you're not obeying him with your finances, he's not going to bless it. If you want God to bless your relational life now, but you're still holding on to an unforgiveness back there, he's not going to bless it. If you want God to bless your work, but you're telling him by your actions, the only thing that there is is my work, not God, what you've told me to do with my rest. Those are just four examples that I came up with. But like, what I'm trying to wrap us around is don't just think about obeying God because he's like a buzzkill in your mind who gave us all these rules. What if the ways that God wants us to behave and tells us to live aren't because he wants to restrict our happiness and joy, but rather that when we live the way God wants us to live, it maximizes our enjoyment and blessing. What if, what if whenever, my dad used to say it this way, what if whenever God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. So the, the text continues. Now into chapter two. Because God says, I, I brought you up out of Egypt and I brought you into the land that I gave, that I swore to give to you to your fathers. I said I will never break my covenant with you. So God's saying in verse one, I kept up my end of the bargain. And you shall make no inhabitants with the inhabitants. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Because God's patience eventually ends, don't follow your heart. I am thankful today, and I wonder if anybody could join me in being thankful today that God is very patient with his children. Man, I am so thankful that God isn't like two strikes and you're out, or I wouldn't be here, and, and frankly, none of y'all would be here either. It says in the Psalms that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is so patient with us. But do not mistake the beautiful truth that God is patient for the idea that his patience is unlimited or unending. Eventually, you run to a point where, this is what he's saying. Do you see it? He's like, all right, I told you to get rid of these people. I told you to get rid of these people. I told you to get rid of these people. I told you to get rid of these people. Fine. Now you're not going to be able to get rid of them, and they're going to do nothing but cause you problems from here. This is why... Um, 
we plead with those that we love to not keep going in this cycle of bad choices because we know that you may have got away with it this time. You may have got past it this time. You may have been, you may have been able to put the marriage back together this time, but that doesn't mean that it's going to last forever. Let me just talk about marriage for a second because I've seen this principle there so many times. Uh, I've been a pastor quite a while now. I've worked with a lot of different people, young people, older people who've been married. And I've seen this cycle over and over in a marriage where one person neglects the other person for a long time. And the person puts up with it, puts up with it, puts up with it, puts up with it. And finally, they stand up for themselves and say, enough is enough. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And it's incredible. Almost every time then, right then, the other person is like, wakes up and tries and tries and tries then, sometimes really legitimately and honestly to put the thing back together, but it's too far gone by that point and it can't be put back together. Now, I know this is a hard word. Don't let yourself have the luxury of thinking that you're gonna keep on having more chances after today. If you can still put that relationship back together, if you can still get that thing figured out, if you can still, if you could delete that person's phone number and block it and tell a trusted friend and never talk to them again and change gyms so you don't see them there or change jobs so you don't see them or whatever, we get sometimes God is so kind to us and he gives us chances where we try to burn ourselves down but all we get is a little bit singed. Trust his word enough to know that you don't know how many more chances you get generations of people had to deal with the Canaanites next door because this generation of people refused to deal with it. I want to show you now the cycle. So Joshua, the son of Nun, it says, verse 8, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110 years. We covered that at the beginning. Now, the writer of Judges, we're in chapter 2, we're 11 through 8, 19 now. He wants to tell you this is what it's going to be like. So the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That's a false god. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. See that? And they provoked the Lord to anger. I'm scared when my wife is angry. Imagine what it must be like to provoke God to anger. It says that whenever, verse 15, they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Mike, come here, buddy. You're in the sermon. I'm Put the next little cartoon thing up on the screen. This is what happens in the book of Judges. And it's what happens in your life and mine. Come on, 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 come on. Starts at the top. Sin, which is choosing my way against God's way, going my direction against God's direction. Sin always leads to difficulty. In the book of Judges, it's very clear. The people become politically oppressed. When they get really down... They get on their knees and call out to God. And God, because he's kind, that's what it said in that verse there. Not because they deserve it, but because he's kind. God raises someone up to deliver them out of their oppression, and they have peace. 
And you would think right there that it's like, man, whoo, we got out of that one, never going back over there again. Whoo-wee. But that's not what happens. It says that enough time goes by, and they forget, and they go back into sin even worse than before. And that's what we're going to study, and it's going to be so much fun to study that together. No, but we're going to learn something. I didn't come over here today just to get a check mark or to feel good. I came over today because life is short and eternity is long and the days are passing by and I want every day in my life to count for Jesus. And if you got here today, I bet you have some of that going too and we want to do things together. This is going to help us because we don't have to fall into the same patterns. We don't have to. This is my friend Mike. Some of you may know him. Uh, This is my dear friend Mike and uh, we hung out the other night. I mean, I'm serious about what I'm about to say. I'm really, we uh, hung out the other night and uh, we had a really, really deep conversation about some really challenging things that you're going through right now. And we got talking, it was crazy, about this thing. Both of us, we were being honest with each other about the patterns that we get stuck in. Uh, It's funny, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but when you're in your like early 20s, teenager, that kind of phase of your life, you just assume that, like, you'll figure it all out eventually. And, like, you don't realize that you can be looking at 40 or looking at 50 or looking at 60 or I'll stop there, but I know it keeps on going. And how many people have had the experience of being amazed that the same, some of the same things you were struggling with way back there, you're still trying to figure out and struggle through now? Who's honest enough to say in church today that you got some of that going in your life? That was, you, yes, you for sure. Yes, you for sure. You for sure, you for sure. Both of us, both of us. But we got talking about how unless we take dramatic action, we feel something and we give lip service to changing or doing something different, and then slowly but surely, we slide back to exactly where we were before. And that's not what we want to do That's not what we want to be. That's not where we want to get stuck. In the age of autonomy and self-definition, I must live completely under the authority of King Jesus. I started there and I'm back there now. That as long as I'm following my own rules, my own standards, I got thinking about it this week. This is like a perfect synopsis of it. You probably know this, that our country is racked by consumer debt. There are so many people that can't pay their bills, and so they run up on a credit card. And then the COVID era came, and everybody stayed home, and a lot of people, the government gave them money, and you can see all these charts, it's easy to find, that all of a sudden, people started paying down their debt, and the amount of money they had in their savings accounts went up, and it was this kind of like year of jubilee, and everything was back, and now it's been a couple of years since that, and guess what? Things are right back where they went before, and getting worse. We have to let ourselves die to the idea that if I get different circumstances, then I'm going to magically start behaving like a different person. It is not going to happen. God loves us, and he shows us his love in continually accepting our repentance. Think about how loving it is from your God that you say, God, I promise I'm never going to go and do that again. And he knows that you are. And he accepts your repentance and your worship and your love anyway. It's Romans 5.8 is one of my favorite verses. It says that God demonstrates his love for us 
this way. Here's how God shows how much he loves us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that unbelievable truth? The, the way you would think it would work is like to get in the doors of the church, you have to clean up, you have to straighten up, you have to sort everything out. To be allowed in the building, to be allowed in front of God, you have to kind of like prove that you deserve to be there by the things that you can accomplish. But the incredible truth, the thing that makes what we worship about Jesus different than what any other religion is worshiping this morning, is that we don't act good to earn our way to God. He's good, and so he makes his way towards us. It's awesome truth, it's incredible truth. But the problem, the problem that comes with the free grace gift of God is a lot of people get around it and they like the free grace part, but they don't allow it to change them and so they stay stuck just right where they were. When David encountered this, now we're done. When David encountered this in the book of Psalms, he said, create in me a clean heart, oh God, Renew a right spirit within me. The people of Israel didn't obey, and these same people had seen God do a lot. These same people that didn't drive out, the inhabitants had seen the Jordan River parted and had heard stories from their parents about manna on the ground and the Red Sea and frogs and all the crazy stuff that happened in the Exodus story that you probably know. And yet, they didn't obey God, and their lives were harmed soon almost irreparably because of it. And that's how they got to this thing, that in those days they had no king, so what they did was they did what was right in their own eyes. And I am persuaded of better things for this church and this community and you and me. We are going to do the strongest thing that you can possibly do in this day and age, which is to say, I'm not going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to do what God says I should do. I'm gonna, not going to do what would make me seem just fine with all the sorry, honestly, lukewarm, average, lame, barely doing anything at all Christians around me. I'm not just going to try to like fit in to the mold of mediocrity. If God says do it, I'm going to do it. If God pushes me towards it, I'm going to stand strong. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be self-righteous and start thinking that I'm better than everybody, but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to fall into that cycle and go round and round and round and round and round and round and then die. It's 2023. It's a sunny day today that gives the hint that there may someday again be a spring. I'm going to put a stake in the ground, and I'm going to move forward. That's what I'm going to ask you to just think about for a second. Why don't you bow your head? I know that we're opening a lot up today. But I wonder if you could just be honest with yourself for a second about the cycles that you go through, the cycles of sinning and confessing and the cycles of promising not to do it, maybe just one, back to addiction again. It's gonna take a lot of energy and a lot of prayer and a lot of work, and maybe for some of us, a lot of counseling and a lot of years. But you don't have to be stuck in those cycles of sin for the rest of your time on this planet. I wonder if you could start today just by being honest with yourself about those things.
God, I pray today that your spirit would flood our hearts in a way that would cause us to see our sin as so disgusting and what you offer is so beautiful. I pray, God, that you would allow us to break the cycles of sin. Some of us are the ones that we've been handed by generations before us. I pray that you would allow us to be strong and to grow strong, not with our own efforts, but by who you are. I pray it in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen and stand to your feet. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.